My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Well, it's snowing in Trouveau. We don't get much of the white stuff here in the Mid-South, but once in a while the Lord sees fit to grace us with an icy accumulation. Not that I'm complaining, it's sort of a nice change, a soft ivory blanket covering the dead brown fields. It's kind of like one of those cards from the Hallmark people. Only problem is, around here we aren't used to driving in the snow, and you see all manner of crazy things going on. The rules of the road seem to vanish as folks take to steering their vehicles along sidewalks or making left turns on red or just stopping their car in the middle of the street for no reason at all. We're strong people here in the Tri-County area and stand firm in the face of flood, fire, and tornadoes, but snow, that's a completely different story. So I'm staying safe on the farm till the frozen inches melt. Laid in plenty of kindling early on, so I'm here in my easy chair, sitting in front of a warm hearth, and it occurred to me that a frigid night like this, when one is cozy by the fire, that's the perfect time for what? Why, for a ghost story, of course, a haunting tale of the afterlife by Firelight's Glow. Now, this story concerns an old fella named Joe, and I mean he was up there in years, around 78, if I'm correct. And despite the fact that he was at an age when most gentlemen are happily retired, Joe was about to start a new job. Now, I don't know why he had to keep working like that. Maybe he'd failed to save up his money, or he just needed to get away from the wife. I guess either is possible. But whatever the reason, he was going to have to move out of state to take this position. Though lucky for him, there was a house to move into once the current occupants had vacated. One day, the man who was leaving the job Joe'd been hired for, a fellow named Don, called him up and said real friendly, like, Would you all like to come over and discuss your new duties? There's a lot of responsibility about to be heaped on your shoulders, and you could probably use some orientation. Oh, gosh, said Joe, sounding kind of sleepy. I was just about to take a nap. Can't it wait? No time to rest on this job, says Don. You've only got a couple more weeks before you take over, and your employers, all 328 million of them, are going to expect you to be up to speed. Well, all right, grumbled Joe, but there'd best be sandwiches, because I don't intend to miss my lunch. So a couple hours later, Sleepy Joe and his wife Jill, or Dr. Jill as she insisted on being called, rang the doorbell at the big white house where Don was living and where Joe himself would soon be taking up residence. The door opened to reveal the tall, impressive man whose invitation Joe had accepted, along with his beautiful missus, who we'll call Mel. Greetings, says Don. So glad you can make it. But instead of a friendly reply, a frazzled-looking Dr. Jill says, He's been impossible the whole drive down here. Couldn't find a radio station he liked, missed half the exits, and had to stop at every rest area to use the bathroom. Not my fault, croaked Joe, that all the stations here play stupid kinds of music. Well, you're here now, says Don cheerfully, and that's all that counts. Come on, Mel says to Dr. Jill. Well, let me take you to the powder room so you can freshen up, and then we'll go to the kitchen where I'll show you how to bake an old-fashioned American apple pie. It's Don's favorite. 
Thank you, says Dr. Jill, grateful to at last be shown some courtesy. As the two ladies walked off, Mel says, So, Dr. Jill, what kind of medicine do you practice? I'm not an MD, says the other woman. I have a doctorate in education. Oh, says Mel, in that case, I'll just call you Jill. Is that okay? Then Don put a muscular arm around Joe's narrow shoulders. We'll head to my office, says he, so you can get a feel for your various obligations. All right, I guess, says Joe, but is there a couch in there? I'm powerful tired. There is, says Don, but believe me, when you find out how exciting this job is, the last thing you'll want to do is lie down. The house was a biggin', and Joe had to sit down several times on the way to the building's western wing. I don't think I'm going to make it, says Joe, parked on a bench outside the conference room. Maybe tomorrow. No time like the present, says Don, his voice full of good humor. And you know what he did? Why, he lifted old Joe up in his arms and carried him the rest of the way. You're so strong, marveled Joe, as he rested his head against Don's chest. Oh, it ain't nothing, says Don. I guess I owe it all to that hoeing and tilling I did when I was a farm boy. At last they reached Don's office, a fine chamber for big doings. Why, this room is oval-shaped, observed Joe. Pretty distinctive, says Don, don't you think? Hey, says Joe, as Don lowered him into a chair in front of a big oak desk. You know, it would be funny. Bring a Jewish guy in here and tell him there's a penny in the corner. Because it's an oval, right? It'll drive him nuts. Don flashed a severe look. We don't cotton to such talk here, says he. We love our Jewish constituents, and we'd never do anything to make them look foolish. Besides, they can't help their nature. Aw, says Joe, I didn't mean nothing by it. Then Don sat behind the desk and took a big stack of papers from a drawer. These, he says, are just some of the documents you work on in a day, but they're all of them mighty important because they're designed to improve the lives of American citizens. For instance, look at this one. And Don handed Joe a sheet from the top. Joe stared at it a moment and then said, There sure are a lot of words here. Those words, says Don, ensure that all Vietnam veterans get a Thanksgiving turkey free of charge for the rest of their lives. A 20-pounder, thank you very much. And this, says he, handing Joe another sheet, cancels college loans for all liberal arts students who drop out and become farmers. It's called the useless to useful law. Where's the ones, asked Joe, that raise taxes sky high, put millions of people out of work, and hand America over to the communists? Uh, says Don, we don't have any of those. To which Joe replies, oh well, there'll be plenty of time for that when I'm on the job. Don sat back in his chair and threaded his fingers across his chest. Do you know, says he, what this desk is called? Didn't know it was called anything, says Joe. I've got one at home, for instance, and I just call it desk. Seems fitting. Well, this is a very special piece of furniture, says Don. It's called the Resolute Desk. It was constructed from timbers of the HMS Resolute, which sailed to the Arctic back in 1850 in search of the Lost Franklin Expedition. But more than that, the name Resolute reminds me every day to remain steadfast in the face of threats to the American way of life. And you too, Joe, must be the rock that anchors our country's future. You understand? There was silence, so after a moment, Don said, uh, Joe? Then he heard snoring from the opposite side of the desk. Don sighed and rested his chin in his hand, saying to himself, That fella sure does like to nap. Just then there was a knock, 
And when Don answered the door, he found himself face to face with a familiar presence, one that had visited him many times before. It was a tall, bewhiskered gentleman in a stovepipe hat. And his name? Why, Abraham Lincoln, of course. Note to listeners, see, I told you it was a ghost story. Good to see you, Mr. Lincoln, says Don. Then another fellow materialized next to him, a white-haired gent in a black bow tie, black vest, and formal black coat. And who's your friend, asked Don. Oh, says Honest Abe, this is Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the United States. Howdy, says Jackson in his Carolina accent. Should have recognized you right off, says Don, and he pointed to a portrait of Jackson hanging on the wall of his office. Had it put there myself, he admitted. Looks right handsome, says Andrew. But can we come in? We have serious matters to discuss. Why, of course, says Don. Where are my manners? And he shows them inside. I'd invite you to sit down, says Don, but... And he motioned to Joe, dozing in the chair. That's what we want to talk about, says Mr. Lincoln. Andy and I don't agree on much. Oh, please, says Jackson. You're not going on about the Indian Removal Act again, are you? I said I was sorry. Four thousand Cherokees died on the Trail of Tears, says Abe Lincoln. Now, gentlemen, says Don, that was 180 years ago. If they'd lived, they'd all be dead by now. Well, I guess you've got a point, says Abraham. Besides, we're not here to argue. We're here because, well, tell him, Andy. We can't let you leave the country in this Joe guy's hands, says Jackson. We think baby Michael Flynn was right. Impose martial law and rerun the election. Oh, no, says Don. I'd never even entertain the idea. Not me. In that case, says Abe, we've got another strategy. It's somewhat extreme, but it just might save the country. What kind of strategy, says Don? We're going to take a leaf, says Andrew, from the book of that Harry Potter. A leaf from the book of who, says Don? Just trust me, says Abe. And with that, he reached his ghostly hand into Don's head and pulled out a small glowing object. Got it, says the 16th president, and then he shoved it into Joe's skull, who even then did not awake. Don reeled back and then slowly regained his senses. What did you do, asked he. Merely put a tiny piece of your soul into this gentleman here, says Lincoln. You won't miss it, but it'll allow you to see into his mind and change his thoughts. Cool, huh, says Jackson. And he likes the young folks lingo, says Abe. I guess he's like a beatnik or something. Hogswaller, says Jackson, I ain't no such thing. Never mind, says the man in the stovepipe hat. Let's see if this works. Think something, Don, and let's see what happens. So Don put his fingers to his temples and thought hard. The dozing figure in the chair suddenly grunted and said, Drop out of the Paris Climate Accord. Coal for everybody. It worked, says Andrew. Now you can run the country no matter where you're at. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the next four years were safeguarded thanks to the spirits of two great presidents in the corporeal form of the greatest president. Oh, and by the way, in case you haven't guessed, I was playing a little joke. When I let on that this guy Joe was getting the job of a fella named Don, I was really talking about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I know I hit it cleverly in a fable-like metaphor, but that's to whom I was referring. Just don't want you to be confused. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>